Hello, I'm Tim Moody. I'm the President and CEO of Pan Global Resources. Uh, we're a Canadian listed company. Uh, our company focused on really copper exploration in, in Spain. Uh, the company's made a new copper discovery uh, in the Iberian Pirate Belt. We have lots of upside, uh, both at our original discovery, which is continuing to grow, but also on the many new targets that we're only now just beginning to test. So lots of ways to win for investors uh, in Pan Global. Brilliant. Well, like Tim, thanks for coming on the show. It's a new story for us. We love a copper story, so even more excited um, about that component. So we've got a we've got a TSX company run by an Aussie operating in, in Spain. So we better start with the with the jurisdiction question, which is Spain has got a bit of a reputation for being a tough place for miners to do business. Nimbyism is rife. Is that right? Uh, I think that's uh, doesn't really portray the area that we're working in. Um, so southern Spain, and where our project is, our main project is located, is in the Andalusia, and it's more particularly in the Iberian Pirate Belt. Now, that is a mining-friendly part of Spain. It's where most of Spain's mining industry is located. Uh, there are, what, uh, five large operating mines in the belt, uh, very actively explored, and it has a track record of fast permitting uh, from grassroots discovery right through to uh, commencement of mining. So uh, there are other parts of Spain, less mining friendly, uh, without the same pedigree. Uh, and yes, there are difficulties in some of those areas, but those are, they're, those are particular to those regions, not where we're operating. Okay, so the Iberian Pirate Belt is that's what long-established mining jurisdiction. So he's got a well-established sort of mining code and process um, in terms of how you go about doing your business. Yes, it does. Um, it it can be laborious at times. You've got to be patient, but the mining law is is very solid. Uh, it's a first-come, first-served uh, system. Um, once you are permitted, that is like an act of law. You know, it's written in law, basically, you have the rights to go and do that work. Um, and you have uh, you know, the, the government behind you. So uh, even down to getting access, if you run into problems with getting access to an area, there are pathways and solutions where the government can intervene on the company's behalf. So yeah, this is this is a great place to be to explore, be exploring. Right. And how long have you operated there for? Or have you worked there before? Yeah, well, this, I guess, comes back to your, your, some of your earlier comments about uh, my background, you know, an Australian being uh, running a Canadian company living in the UK um, with assets in, in, in Spain. So, uh, yeah, I worked for Rio Tinto for 24 years. And at one stage, I moved, well, in fact, uh, Rio Tinto made a discovery in the Iberian Pirate Belt uh, called Las Cruces. And uh, after that discovery, I was asked to come over and run Rio Tinto's exploration in Spain and Portugal. And at that, uh, that time, uh, it became the largest exploration project for Rio Tinto anywhere in the world, primarily focused on the Iberian Pirate Belt. And uh, that's where I've really zeroed in on for Pan Global. And that's, uh, I know the area well. I know the, uh, uh, the geology. I know the targets. Uh, and more particularly, I knew this particular patch of ground where we made our 
first discovery. Um, and okay, so you, you know you know the rocks and you, and you know the districts. We better get to know um, you a little bit more and, and, and the team. So, um, when did you um, join the company, and what was the brief to you? Yeah, so I, when I left Rio Tinto, I actually started a, a private company in uh, in Spain on what was the Agulhas project. Uh, I met with some of the directors of Pan Global. Uh, they were looking for a project, um, and uh, I mentioned I had this very early stage exploration uh, project in, in uh, Spain, uh, and we said if we could work something out, then uh, yeah, they'd be welcome to uh, to uh, farm into the property or whatever. So anyway, we worked, cut a long story short. We uh, I farmed the pro- pro- property off to Pan Global, and soon after they asked if I would come in and run the company. So. Uh, that was not part of my plan uh, when I left Rio Tinto, but here we are. Um, I have I've continued uh, to do that for the last what nearly four and a half, coming up to five years. Right, and and in in terms of um, the, the rest of the team, I'm kind of interested in the the people who actually do stuff, not the names on on you know, the nameplate stuff, but who have you got that actually helps you on a, on a day to day basis in terms of moving the the project forward and the company forward? Yeah, so. Uh, Look, uh, one of the advantages of being familiar with with Spain was that uh, when I when I started uh, to get Pan Global active, I called up some of my former colleagues and people I knew, and I was able to almost plug and play. Uh, and I built a team around some of the people that used to work for me or work with me in the past. So I've continued to build the team and build the capacity. Uh, we now have uh, what six or seven geologists. Uh, we've brought on a, a, a general manager this year who is a mining engineer, very experienced, also, as it turned out, worked for Rio Tinto for, for many years, uh, but more importantly has experience of taking projects from pre-resource right through to development. Further to that, he also has open pit mining experience, which is very relevant to what we've got, and his last mining operation where he, he was the manager, they were producing tin, which is one of the commodities that we've been finding as well at our, our main project. So he brings a lot of strength. Jim Royal, VP of Exploration, you know, very strong geologist. Again, he worked for me with, uh, with my team in Rio Tinto many, many years ago. He lives in Spain. He knows the pirate belt very well, knows Spain very well. Um, so again, uh, you know, a, a really good addition to the team. Jim's been alongside Pan Global and our exploration of the pirate belt since near the, since we began, really. Uh, so those are just a couple of the people. We've also got uh, another mining engineer who is very experienced, very well regarded, helps with dealing with the administration. Uh, you know, very, a very good team overall. Yeah. And, and I should say, very uh, a very diverse team. We're uh, with about 50% girls, 50% guys, and... Uh, yeah, you know, really enthusiastic. Um, you know, I hosted a board meeting last week, and uh, yeah, that was one of the messages that came back to me from the board was just how, uh, well, one how how pleased they were to to meet meet the team, but also just how enthusiastic this sort of young geology team was in particular. No, no, it's, no, it's fantastic. More of it. I was actually talking to some people earlier today about it. We we need more more of it, more, more diversity. 
and more new thinking. Um, but look, okay, so you, that that's the team. Um, I, I kind of, it almost, we don't even need to have a conversation about infrastructure because th- there you are, sited near roads, water, power, ports, smelters, etc. So you, you're in the right part of the world. It makes life easy and cheap in terms of um, not having to build camps and uh, house people or fly in, fly out. So that's all kind of good news. Um, so can we just leap to um, the assets themselves? So in terms of the portfolio that you've, You've got there's a, there's a lot of moving parts, so you've got to get a little bit focused. So, what should we be looking at first? Yeah, so uh, as I say, our main our main project is in the Iberian Pirate Belt. So, I think it's important for people to really understand that this is a really important geological province, a mining province, continuously mined for what three thousand years. Um, so, not everyone realises just uh, how much pedigree, how much background there is in in uh, this particular uh, part of the world. Um, so uh, we've got a, a piece of ground, a, quite a large area, for over 5,500 hectares at the eastern end of this yeah, very prolific belt. Uh, we're surrounded by some big miners. Uh, we've got First Quantum, you know, just a stone throw to the east. Right next door to us, uh, we've got a group of Mexico who are looking to restart an old Belieden mine uh, at the Asnacoyan Los Frailes uh, uh, mining area. And then further to the west, about 20 kilometres, is the site where, of the original Rio Tinto mine where the Rio Tinto company began, which is the largest volcanogenic massive sulphide deposit in the world by a long way. So we're really surrounded by, by giants. Um, so I think that's really important to, to point out. And the other really key... Uh, part of our story is that this this is a generally a pretty well explored area. It's had, you know, been you can imagine with the, with all the activity, the history there, how much exploration activity has been going on for for a very long period of time. But this patch of ground that we've got really escaped any serious exploration since the early 1980s, and that makes it really unique. And I was aware of that from my background having uh, run Rio Tinto's exploration there many years ago, but not everyone else would be so familiar with that. Um, so that's really important because this otherwise very well explored, you know, mature exploration area, to find an area that had really been unexplored for since you know, we're getting up to 40 years is really quite remarkable. Um, and given its location with these other big deposits all around us, um, it's probably no surprise that our first target, our first drill holes on our first target, found an ore body, potentially, potentially an ore body, let's say. So, uh, well, actually, that's, that's a really important point you make there, which is like potentially an ore body, you know, and people use the word discovery quite loosely. I mean, how, how do you define it? Yeah, I think the way I describe it is that we've had a drill intersection of grades and thicknesses that you would think you'd have a very good chance of developing into a mine a mining uh, project so that's how i would define it uh, you know our first dis- discovery hole what i call discovery hole was over 20 meters and you know what you know uh, one and a half one over one percent copper plus some tin plus some silver from what 30 meters below surface we followed that up with even better intersections so um that's why I call those discovery holes, and that's 
proven with the drilling we've done, you know, we'll continue to hit in with nearly every drill hole for the next 130 holes after those first holes. Well, how did you do that? I mean, did you did you buy data? Did you inherit data? Obviously, you 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 know bringing assets into the company, so you knew a bit about it. But what what's the total sum of the knowledge that you have in terms of what you're looking at? Yeah. So again, one of the key uh, keys for us was that we we acquired some old exploration information. It wasn't necessarily on the public domain. Some old Exxon uh, exploration data, which included some maps with old gravity contours and some other uh, drill hole information and so on. Um, we digitised that. And that, from that information, we were able to identify a number of what we call gravity anomalies, geophysics targets. And it was one of those uh, called La Romana that we decided, well, let's do uh, two lines of gravity, ground gravity, uh, say ground truthing of that, that anomaly. And we did one line of IP, geophysics, and then we drilled. So uh, very quick, let's see what that what the anomaly is. Let's see what's causing it. Let's get some geology information. And our first hole into that target hit, hit what I call the yeah, discovery hole. So that's, uh, that's really how it happened. And, and using that information, that early Exxon information, that's formed the basis for identifying other targets in our property package. Right, and it's been quite sort of, as you said, you know, reasonably, you know, shallow to actually, you know, hit some of these targets of yours. But you're also looking at things like Romana Deep, which is going down, you know, over 400 meters here. So, how how, how does the 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 mod the mod? Not sure, what is the plan on the drilling to allow you to kind of build a model of what it is that you're looking at here? Because I've, I've read somewhere about 20,000 meter multi drill uh, target. Um, that you're going after. Where are you with that? How much more have you got to do? And what's the kind of picture you're trying to build? Yeah, so, uh, you know, with that early geophysics information that we had from the old the old historic exploration, uh, we've we've set about uh, this year in particular with, with doing our own surveys over the entire area. So that includes a more detailed gravity survey. We flew the area with a helicopter electromagnetic survey and magnetic survey. Uh, we've covered large areas with surface ge soil geochemistry and some mapping, etc. And then we followed up in particular targets with, with other tools like uh, you know, uh, ground IP or uh, some more detailed geological mapping, etc. And from that, we then build up a picture. And the more of these sort of coincident indicators of potential for mineralisation there are, the higher the priority that target is generally. Um, so... That's really how we've gone about it. Uh, we've now been using our own information and trying to back that that those uh, anomalies up with with additional information, so that we're not just relying on one piece of data to guide us. Hopefully, we've got two, three, four, or five sets of information that's coinciding and allows us to you know, maximise our potential for success when we do go and drill. Right, and how's the breakdown at the moment? Because you talked about you know over you know one percent copper, which is great, um, but you're also chasing tin. There's some silver in there, and it's it, is it majority copper or is it a kind of polymetallic? And you, you're going to be reporting in copper equivalent numbers. I mean, what, what do you know? Yeah, so uh, obviously we've got now we've got uh, not just the Laramana target, but we've got you know, a dozen or more of them, and we're continuing to generate others. So it's just that our first target, which you know, Laramana had copper and 
very interesting. We had some tin, which is not common in these systems, and a bit of silver and, and so on. Um, so uh, that's not to say that everything else we find is going to be the same. You know, as I say, tin in these systems is somewhat unusual, but a really positive uh, attribute because tin in these systems tend to only occur with the very big copper-rich VMS type deposits. So, so we took we take the presence of tin as a very positive sign in terms of you know, potential for finding something very large. But some of these other targets, you know, we might be following up a zinc anomaly. Um, I reported recently that we, we started drilling a, a new target called Hornitos. Uh, that was a big zinc uh, soil geochemistry anomaly, had some a gravity anomaly with it and some IP as well. We, and uh, we've drilled the first couple of holes into that. And as I reported, we've hit some some sphalerite and galena mineralization, in other words, zinc and, and lead mineralization in those first holes on that target. So we know the, tech, the techniques are working. Have we got a zinc deposit? We don't know. These things are, can be polymetallic, as, as we know. But, uh, yeah, big price for us is copper, given its importance um, in this, this location. Right, okay. So you've got the Escasina project, you've got multiple targets and anomalies and so forth, and you, well, at the end, end of July, where, where are you at for money? Because I, I, I'm sort of looking at the end of July, and so just under, just shy of 14 million bucks. Where, where are you today? Yeah, so uh, we've, you know, we've set out beginning of the year to drill a, a 20,000 metre program, a lot of that on La Romana, but a, a, a good amount on new targets. So, uh, yeah, we started out the year at probably $14, $15 million. We bought some money in from warrants, et cetera. Um, yeah, by the end of this year, well, currently we're sitting on about 11, a bit over $11 million. Uh, by the end of the year, coming into 2023, we should be sitting on uh, a bit over $8 million. So, yeah, we're in a strong position, you know, going into 2023. Well, yeah, I mean, it definitely gives you options um, and it doesn't, you know, put you in that kind of cash-constrained position, which, you know, uh, a lot of companies have found themselves in. So it's a question of um, how do you allocate that capital? Because, again, with lots of options on the table, you've got to be careful that you spend the money wisely and efficiently um, and, you know, and, and kind of drive that value creation. It's a bit difficult in a market like this with slightly risk off and coming into tax season to, to maybe think, think like that. But new year, new beginning. So what, what are the plans for next year? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a good question. Uh, I, I guess the first thing I'd say is, yes, we, we have to be very conscious of the market we're in and you know, being careful with, with every dollar that we've got. Um, so yes, we we are lucky that we we're in a great position that we've got money in the bank, so we're not we're not uh, we're not having to rush out trying to find um, you know do a capital raise anytime soon. So that does that's in the meantime we hope that the the market will get stronger, but in the but uh, we we do have to be very sort of ba- it's a balance really. But that said, uh, look the cost of exploration uh, for us is is. You know, a, a lot less than perhaps a lot of other copper explorers are facing. They, you know, that, say, companies in in North America or you know, South America, where you've got you know very difficult, challenging terrain, or you know higher labour costs, higher drilling costs, these sorts of things. Look, the, for us, uh, you know, costs are pretty uh, yeah pretty light by comparison, uh, which is why we're able to put you know. I think uh, a bit over 80% of our 
cash into the ground, uh, which is a very high proportion when you, I think when, when you compare it to other exploration companies. It, it is. So, but, but give, give me give me a sense of what you think is important to do next year. I appreciate you're, you're going to have to, you know, just keep an eye on what's happening in the markets, what's happening in the economy, etc. But what do you think is going to be important for you? Because if I, why I ask is because you know I've interviewed you know lots of companies, um, exploration companies, but also interviewed a copper producer in Spain, and the biggest millstone around their neck was energy costs, because they would be, because they're in production. But for you as an explorer and the stage that you're at, you're saying it's a relatively light touch in terms of your, your, your cost base, but have you been affected at all by you know these supply chain issues, uh, skill shortages, uh, inflation, any of, the, any of these factors? No, not really. Fortunately, we're not uh, we're not dealing with these uh, these the challenges of high energy costs. Oh, we, we don't use a lot of fuel. We don't use a lot of electricity. Um, I expect that there may be some pressure on labour costs. Uh, but in terms of skill shortages, we have a very good team, a very strong team. You know, we're well, well equipped for for big exploration programs. Um, so I don't see that being the issue uh, for us. Uh, for us, it's about really prioritising the targets that we've got, you know, being really efficient with the exploration work we do, being very systematic, methodical, um, and then to try and build a strong, strong uh, target before we go in there and drill it so that um, you know, we get the best, as I say, best bang for our buck when it comes to uh, testing these new, new targets. But you're absolutely right. We, we need to be really focused uh, in, this, in this environment I mean, let's just talk about the kind of corporate structure here because there's a few names I, I recognise in there, Pat Downey, uh, Pat Evans, um, and um, obviously Andy Marshall, CFO. Um, how much does the management team own? Um, I, how much have they put into it? What, how are they incentivised you know, in terms of options and so forth? Because um, I, I think that's a really important indicator to the market as to how serious you are about you know, moving this thing forward. Yeah, so uh, currently the insiders hold about 8.7% of the, of the shares that, that are currently issued, uh, which is a pretty good, that's just the directors, you know, uh, myself and, and Andy included. Uh, in in that, uh, yeah. So, uh, in terms of other incentives, I guess we've we've been issuing options each year. Uh, I guess we we don't issue all of the available options. Uh, we've been fairly prudent in, in our distribution of those. Uh, but you know, I guess we hold. Yeah, you know, I, I certainly have a lot of options. I currently hold close to six million uh, shares personally. Plus, uh, I'm not sure what the number of options is, but. Uh, yeah, we're all very incentivised to, uh, in terms of the senior management and the team on the ground too, to deliver. We're all, we're all, uh, we've all hold options. Okay, and like, and given your cash position, you're not rushing out to the market anytime um, since that. But your ca- your current cash will will take you through to when? Yeah, so uh, so going into 2023, we've got we'll have uh, a bit over eight million in the bank. Um, that uh, we're, we're, again, our plan at this stage, we're still refining that, but we're looking at a similar uh, number to what we went into 2022 with, which was about $8 million. Um, so I expect we'll, at this stage, our working uh, position is to go, go into 2023 with a similar spend. So 
Um, you know, if we need to, uh, you know, string things out a bit, it'd be, you know, uh, we can do that. Uh, we've got the flexibility to do it, uh, but we can also turn the turn the, the drill rigs up, turn the the uh, accelerate the program as well if we have any success. So that's the benefit of having the money we've got in the bank. But uh, we can go, we can go, we can go right through. You got three drills turning, right? You got three drills turning at the moment. We've got two at the moment, looking for a third rig. Okay, looking for a third. Okay, fine. Um, well, like, I mean, as, as a kind of nice introduction to um, this company, I appreciate you sparing the time to see us today. Um, I'd love to kind of get into the weeds with you technically about what those drills are doing and how you're going about planning that that drill program. Um, you know, so I'm not maybe see you before Christmas, maybe not. Who knows? Um, you, what's your expectations of the old copper market? Because you know, metals prices good, equities not so much. Yeah, well, um, I guess I, I look at in inventories. That's one thing I, I look at. Um, uh, I'm not a copper trader, but uh, certainly the inventories are very low for copper. Uh, but I think the other thing that's really, I, I think the the eye opener is just how much copper is going to be required to meet these sort of energy uh, transition requirements. Uh, but bear in mind also that uh, the world's still growing. Uh, the large parts of the world are still developing. So copper is just one of those metals that's just you know, it's fundamental for not only for improving people's quality of life, but also what's different about this current trajectory over the next few years is this uh, transition from from, from uh, oil and gas-based uh, energy to, uh, to alternative forms of energy. And unlike many of the other what they call battery metals and so on, copper is, 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 is required in every element of, of those, that, the energy uh, system, whether it be the batteries, the cars, or the infrastructure that's required to get from the energy from a from a wind turbine through to a to a uh, to a terminal for a, a charging station to uh, for a car, um, copper is 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 the key metal for all of those things. You can have all the lithium batteries in the world, but if you don't have the infrastructure which needs lots of copper to deliver that uh, energy for those batteries, then yeah, it's it, lithium is not going to be uh, so so important. It, it bodes well. For copper, big infrastructure investment, big uh, EV revolution going on out there. Um, should be a good year for copper. Uh, let's hope so. Um, appreciate your time today, Tim. And we'll see yeah. you soon. Thanks very much, Matt.